Have you ever uh, have you ever had to say I'm too close for missiles? I'm switching to guns or something similar. Only in a nightclub to impress somebody. So never in the aircraft. No. <laughs> have you have you ever saying you've got that love and feeling in, in a nightclub? Only in the airplane. Never in a nightclub. Hey everyone, and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. I'm one of your hosts, and joined by my co-host, Dr. Scott Melson. Hello, Scott. What's up, man? How are you, sir? I'm. I am vacated. Vacated. You're just back from the Canadian Rockies. Uh, actually, not the Rockies. Oh. Different. Different chain. Whatever. It's all close. <laughs> mountains. <laughs> right. But Jun- uh, yes, Rockies Junior. The mountains of British Columbia. Rockets. Uh, no, it's so. Ashley and I had this discussion whilst there. Uh, we were in Whistler and wondering what what mountain chain, like what mountains are mm-hmm. these. And so it's actually like a whole bunch of different ones because the province of British Columbia is like mostly mountains. And there's like seven or eight different chains. The like Banff, where a lot of people are going right now. Yes, very, yes. Banff is very invoked. So Banff is the Canadian Rockies. Um, but Whistler, which is farther west and very, very near the coast, yeah. um, is... It's not the Sierra Nevada, but it would be more kind of alike. Right. right. So, interesting fact, playing it fast and loose with the word interesting, um, <laughs> is that uh, is that uh, all of these mountains that surround Whistler, which is uh, where the 2010 Winter Olympic Games were held, Whistler and Vancouver, um, are volcanoes. So, if you, learn, if you remember learning about the Ring of Fire in seventh grade geography, um, Whistler sits right smack dab in the middle of the Ring of Fire. Um, none of them have erupted for tens of thousands of years. Just a matter of, years, of time. But... Uh, they all could. None of them are extinct. And once Yellowstone blows, it's just a chain reaction, dude. Tell the West Coast falls off into the ocean. Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm. Uh, I, I guess I'm not vacated anymore, but I was. I was. I was solid vacated for about a week. Welcome back. Thanks, man. Your pictures were lovely. Uh, I'm. I can't wait to go back. We're gonna go back in next year. We think. Man, it's on our list. We may go to somewhere in Canada next year. To Canada's awesome. Banff is on my list. I don't really care. Toronto is lovely as well. I've heard I've heard Banff is great. I want to make it there at some point, but uh, Saskatoon for the oh, nice <laughs> for the for the moment at least. Uh, my heart belongs to Whistler. Nice. Are you a, are you a, a backpacker a camper? Um, so I love to backpack and camp. Uh, I love to hike. Ashley, my lovely wife, who has occasionally made an appearance here on the pod, yes. loves to hike, provided that at the end of it there's a shower. There's a, a shower. And ideally, a bottle of wine with a comfortable bed. Nice. So, well, you and I should plan a trip to like the Boundary Waters in Minnesota. You have to do like a lottery thing to get in. I went probably 15 years ago, and it was incredible. Like yes. where you did the portage in and the whole yes. deal and pack in, pack out. Yeah, dude, let's do it. All right, we did uh, this let's, past this past our our biggest hike we did this time was uh, uh, called in Gar- was to Garibaldi Lake, which is in the Garibaldi Provincial Park. Uh, you hike up to a it's a huge alpine uh, glacier glacier lake. Um, it was, it was, I think for a day hike, it was pretty solid. The round trip was uh, 12 and a half miles, um, with almost not quite 3000 feet nice. of, of elevation. Yeah, so it was, uh, uh, it was not easy, um, but well, well worth it. Nice. Uh, also shout out to local meteorologist, Emily Sutton, who just completed a rim to rim hike in a single day of the Grand Canyon this week. Are you serious? Yeah. It was like a, a, a 14 hour or something. It was looked like a, it was really cool. That is like incredibly difficult yeah i mean she's been she's done iron man and stuff she was training but right. she posted about it so i was like that that's is, really awesome that's so, a that is a 
that's that's an amazing feat. Well done, Emily. If you listen to the pod, my mother loves you and reads your blog every day. And come on the pod and tell us about that because I have backpacked through the Grand Canyon and cannot imagine going down and out in the same day. That would be, should be cool. All right, we'll reach out and see. Um, we are also joined today. It's not just me and Scott. It's another Scott. Scott Downey. Hello, sir. Thank you. Hello. Scott is a uh, friend of mine, a former classmate. We both recently completed our MBAs. That's right. Congratulations to you. Thank you. You too. Thank you. The money's now rolling in. (laughs) Congrats to you both. That's right. Thank you. I'm in that weird period where I don't have school, but I don't yet have to start paying on the student loans. Uh, So, God, isn't that awesome? Just a couple of months before that comes due. It's like the best... The best, the best six months of your postgraduate I, life. I actually tried to consolidate and get the ball rolling on that, and I couldn't because I'm still in school status. And I was like, all right, well, I'll just wait longer then. So, uh, Scott, we're going to do this differently than we've done some other guests where we often we kind of isolate the guest interview for a separate section. But we really want to have your your input and your feedback along the way. You got it. So You're uh, hosting today. You're that's one right, of the hosts. yeah. It's actually, it's a third We're going to go a totally different direction then. That's right. Happy clouds. Uh, and so, uh, Scott, I know that you are a uh, retired Navy fighter pilot. That is correct. And how, 20 years? 20 years. 20 years in the Navy. Yeah. Um, in, I will say the story that I've shared before. In class, in almost every class, we'd go around and everyone introduced themselves. And there'd always be one or two that are like, I'm also a pilot. And Scott would like elbow me like, all right. And then get to him. And he's like... I'm a 20-year veteran Navy fighter pilot. <laughs> I've landed however many times off of aircraft carriers and like all uh, this. F-14, uh, F-18? Uh, F-18. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I, I liked you before, but... <laughs> What's not to like? But but now I have a little bit of a crush that, because... Uh, it's all I've ever really done. Yeah. So it's my whole identity. So when I had to show anybody up. Explains why you're wearing a flight suit right now. Yeah. You guys need to record this dude, video. Dude, you need a video of this thing. What do you do? I'm that, good in a flight suit. That was the ultimate, like, like I mean, that's all I've ever really done. You know? It's just like fly yeah. like a $100 million aircraft yeah. and just like, you know, land it on, land on a boat. On a boat. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was the life. Just, just a job. Right. Get out and be like, God, just another Monday. Yeah. But um, seriously, our gratitude to you as a veteran. Oh, yeah. I know you You're did welcome. some combat in the Middle East. Um, I did. Yes. So. Uh, yeah, it was um, my pleasure to do all that. I mean, it was uh, I, uh, I was pleased to do it, enjoyed what I did, and uh, uh, yeah, there was tough times, but uh, sure. Uh, and you are now working for. Uh, are you doing flight instruction now in your new flight job? Flight instruction will be my new job. Yeah. Um, for a a for FedEx for a parcel carrier, right? Federal Express. Right. What. What uh, different what is kinds of planes? Yeah, what's what I was gonna say? What's in their fleet? What's the major like? What is the what's the major aircraft? In their They've fleet? got five aircraft. They've AT and Warthog. Yeah, <laughs> I, none of them have guns. I don't understand. I don't carry any bombs, uh, at least not up front. Um, they fly. Their pilots fly the Boeing triple seven, the seven six seven, and the seven five seven. They've got the uh, Airbus three hundred, and then they've got um, cargo versions of all these. Obviously, of course. Yeah, yeah. and. Uh, then they got the MD-10 and MD-11, I believe. Right, so right. five or six uh, fleet aircraft. Nice. Got. So you're moving to... Is there headquarters in Memphis? Their headquarters. They run that town, yeah. Interesting. FedEx Arena downtown, man. I've, where the, I've uh, been through Memphis, but that was probably 15 years ago. Where the Grizzlies play. I forget right. those exist. That's right. There's a <laughs> FedEx field, but I think it's I think it's in D.C. Yeah, it could be. It's, I never really understood that. I guess they wanted a higher profile location for... Federal. 
Oh, look, look at us. I get it. Ship all your federal documents with us. Um, excellent. So, well, it's uh, it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. At some Pleased point during the episode, I'm going to have to devise... I may just do last names here so our listeners who may not be familiar with our voices will know Scott 1 from Scott 2. So I may just do Melson and Downey. That's fine. I've been called yeah. worse. Yeah. I will admit that Downey suggested better Scott, or good Scott, bad Scott, and something else. Correct and incorrect. Correct I'm going to throw out there. Correct Scott, uh, incorrect Scott. Question of the week. Who's good Scott and who's better Scott? Ooh, let's save it for the end. We'll come back to it. <laughs> I was trying to find a... a a uh, drum roll sound effect, but I didn't no. get there. No, don't do that. Because then they'll pick him. They might pick him. And I might cry. Well, <laughs> they, they don't gots to know. <laughs> I don't need it. You, you can call me Bad Scott. That's fine. <laughs> what's, uh, what's your middle name, Nelson? Christopher. That's right. Uh, you're not a Christopher to me. What was your, when you retired, what did you retire as? Uh, cr- uh, sorry, I almost said Colonel. That's the wrong service. Yeah. I was a commander. Well, About. Commander. Scott commander. and Commander Scott. That's yeah, fine. That works. Call me Commander. Master and Commander. All right. Um, well, Dr. Melson, just Doctor and Commander. Man, I feel I like, like a lowly man here. Um, <laughs> just civilian. Re- just civilian, right? Plebeian Andy. Um, let's uh, let's get into our first uh, segment, our Don't Miss This. You've got a few notes, a few um, things we should stay at abreast of yeah yeah so we've got our regular news roundup this week but um a couple of quick breaking news that we wanted to just throw out there um things developments for you guys to stay aware of so for anyone that is interested in the ongoing marijuana saga the aftermath of state question 78 here in oklahoma uh the marijuana working group the bipartisan legislative group that's kind of helping the healthcare authority and overseeing them as they draft rules they met today we're not going to go through everything they talked about um most of the discussion centered around testing um, the products that will be sold by dispensaries. Right. If you want to get all the details on that, Catherine Sweeney uh, from the Journal Record has all of the details on her Twitter feed. She was there and keeping everybody updated throughout the feed. I will throughout the meeting. I will also say, if you don't already follow Catherine on Twitter, you're doing Twitter wrong. So that's true. She's a great resource. Yeah, so so follow Catherine regardless. I will just a note about the the medical marijuana working group. They are looking at drafting legislation to add to the rules that were passed by the healthcare authority and by the health department. Um, not the healthcare authority, the health department, and um, Bud Scott from the the medical marijuana industry. I guess it said the other day he tweeted out that Oklahoma is going to be leading the pack in like dark marijuana production or something like. Basically, the rules we passed aren't adequate. We need some like stronger legislation around it, which is why this is still a big issue. Um, and I think we are probably in the public's opinion, I would say we're in this like middle ground where we, okay, we've got medical marijuana. A bunch of folks wanted recreational. That didn't work out. And so now like it's a, it's maybe we're in a spot where we, we have to either be responsible with it or we've got to like be blatantly irresponsible and just let it be recreational. Right. Like those. I, I think I do. I think that's a really an accurate characterization because because you don't want to have rules that you don't enforce, right. right? And what we're still what we're still dealing with, I, I think a lot a lot of this is, I think some of, some of the folks that were you know really kind of pushing this are are reconciling with the fact that they want like we passed medical marijuana and there is a reluctance to treat it like a medicine, um, right. and, and it's an herb. Yeah, like like if we're like, and that's the thing. Like, you know, people are like, well, you don't, you don't have to do this for alcohol. You don't have to do this for, you know, cigarette. You don't have to do this for whatever. Well, those aren't 
medicines, right? Like we didn't pass recreational marijuana. We passed medicinal marijuana. And so I think as a doctor, it's incumbent upon, you know, the health department and the legislature to treat it like a medicine. Now that doesn't mean that all of the rules that, you know, the health department originally passed are appropriate. And, you know, I understand why people were upset about some of them, but the idea that this shouldn't be like regulated at all is, which is, which is kind of, is an oversimplification. Right. I mean, you voted for it to be regulated. Right. Yeah. Um, Are there people actually trying to get less regulation out of it, out of the rules, or are they trying to tighten them up? Well, so they passed some rules. I read and, them. And, but I, I don't have anything to compare them to. I mean, right. I mean, you know, there's a, we're the 30th, 31st state, something that's right legalized this. 35th or 36th, I think. Okay, we're whatever. Most of the country. Yeah. Um, and so I think we've learned some lessons from other states like Colorado. Uh, but I, you know, the, everyone's, a bunch of groups submitted different rules and they kind of used some of those and kind of made up their own. And I don't, I'm not sure what Bud wants to be specific. I know he, I mean, it was like a 600 page booklet of rules um, that's probably useful, but also, I don't know, shouldn't it to be prudent somewhere to be like, yeah, okay, you get two ounces, like smoke them if you got them and right. don't sell it. Right. But I understand that we need to stretch that out to 600 pages. Right. I mean, it's <laughs> just like a paper in grad school. Right. Um, but I mean, you've got to have some kind of testing standards to make sure that what people are buying is legitimate and it can right. be measured because everyone knows that like the weed we get today is not the weed that our parents got yeah. back then. And um, and so how do you compare one to another and all that stuff? Yeah. So anyway. So that was kind of the first on our new breaking news update. Next, there was an announcement today that Senator James Inhofe, Senator from Oklahoma, Jim Inhofe, uh, will now be chairing the Senate Armed Services Committee. That is a post that was previously held by the late Senator John McCain. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so that's the post was open. He was voted, voted on today. He will be chairing Senate Armed Services. I, And I think that that's good for a couple of reasons. Number one... Um, that's a very important position. It's a very powerful position and it's good when your home state Senator has, has holds that post, particularly when your home state has multiple military bases. Right. Yeah. Um, so as you know, um, the military is, you know, continuing to modernize and at times restructuring and, you know, when contracts are renewed and you just, it's, it is only good news for Oklahoma that one of our senators is, in charge of the submit of the Senate committee that kind of oversees that process. When you consider how many bases we have here in the state and how many active and uh, reserve personnel we have to say nothing of civilian support staff. The other reason that it's good is because I think now I could be wrong. Um, yell at me on Twitter if I'm wrong. Um, if he chairs Senate armed services, I don't believe that he can also chair the Senate environment and public works committee, which to me to not have someone who held a snowball on the floor of the Senate and said, see, global warming doesn't exist, to not have that person in charge of the Environmental Committee um, can only be a good thing. He also authored some books, one of which was called How the Global Warming Conspiracy Threatens Your Future. Yeah. And so, The Greatest Hoax. So I think... Uh, so you feel like he's maybe not fit to chair something related to environment when he's so blatantly... Uh, predisposed, yes, to not believe people who are experts on the environment. So I would say that he's uh, not—he's not a scientist. Yeah, he's, so. he is eighty-three years old. I did not realize that. Yeah. He's not a young man. I'm not saying I'm not ageist. I'm not saying it's bad, but and it's also a chance that he will not be in this post for very long. Ageist. Well, and because 
I mean, there's realist. a lot of there's a lot of uh, realists. Thank yeah. you, mm. Commander Downey. Sorry, there's Adrian a lot of. Uh, why do you hate elderly people? <laughs> no, that's uh, I don't. I love my grandmother. Um, but I, I mean, there's a lot of buzz here locally, especially about uh, Senator Inhofe's retirement impending, perhaps in 2020. Although he has uh, not commented on that. Of course not. Yeah, he's just gonna keep it on. Vote, 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 die. Um, so that's that. Uh, next up, this is this is really important, particularly if you live south of the metro. So pa- there was a um, meeting this evening of the Paul's Valley Hospital Authority had an emergency meeting tonight, um, looking at the possibility that the Paul's Valley Hospital may close. Um, the meeting has since adjourned. They they convened, essentially went immediately into executive session, uh, came out uh, not not that long later. I think it was within about 30, about 30, 45 minutes to say that they are not going to close tomorrow. Uh, they don't have plans to close imminently, but they are still um, really kind of on the border in terms of their operations. Um, this would be, for the Paul's Valley Hospital to close would be absolutely devastating. It would mean that residents that currently now depend on the hospital for emergency care and you know the subspecialty, the subspecialty care that's available there um, would now be looking at hospitals that are 25, 30 miles farther away. Um, and if you are having a heart attack or <laughs> right. an asthma attack or, you know, another life threatening, you sliced m- your finger open. Yeah. Medical condition. You, you don't want to have to drive an extra 20 minutes, uh, 20 miles to get to, to the hospital. And the ambulance doesn't want to have to drive an extra 20 miles to get you there. So, um, this is notable for that reason. It's also, you know, a lot of hospitals in rural Oklahoma and rural America generally, but especially Oklahoma are in danger of closing. And one of the main reasons are the cuts to Medicare that we've seen over and over and over and over again. Those don't just, they affect the patients, obviously, but they affect patient access to care because hospitals, nursing homes, doctor's offices who see majority Medicaid populations literally can't keep their doors open when those rates are slashed to the, to the degree that they have been. So did you, sorry, this reminds me, did you see the story yesterday? Um, I think I saw David Blatt share it on Facebook, actually, from uh, OK Policy, uh, that there may be a Medicaid provider rate increase. Yes, but the way the the way the article was written, it was like trying to like blast them. Like it's a they're gonna face an increase from three percent to four percent, and it's like wait, that hang on, that's a good thing. Yeah. But it was written with the same tone that they've been writing all the articles about Medicaid provider rate decreases, and it's like and and. David was kind of like, I didn't, I didn't expect like deep policy analysis from these outfits, but like, this is kind of egregious that they like totally blew it. So, um, so Hey, good news for medical providers like you. Uh, Yeah. So, um, maybe for the hospital here. Yes. Yes. Um, so check out Twitter. You can see uh, about the Paul's Valley hospital authority. If you'd like to know more about that. So that's it for breaking news. And now we'll get into our regularly scheduled all right let's get into our news roundup news roundup so we are starting with uh a i'll call it a blog post because i don't really have anything else to call it this is from representative marcus mcintyre um republican from duncan shout out to duncan yeah from marcus mcintyre.com uh so representative mcintyre has uh, a piece that he published today um that's called what uh, what voters, uh, what Oklahomans are telling their legislators. Um, and really the the crux of the piece, the main thrust of it, is talking about House Bill 1010XX and what what 
he sees as kind of the ramifications of that bill passing what the ramifications were on uh, the elections that we just had certainly last week, but also in June. So if you'll recall, House Bill 1010XX was the bill that was passed in the second extraordinary session of the 56th legislature Mm -hmm. um, that increased uh, taxes on the gross production tax, fuel, cigarettes, little cigars. It's the revenue bill, the bill that that funded the teacher pay raise. Cigarillos. And Representative McIntyre talks about how you know, what he was hearing when he was running for election last time was two things. Fix the budget hole, fix the pay rate, uh, and give teachers a raise. And House Bill 1010XX did both of those things. And in large measure, um, legislators who supported it are going to be, if they were running, folks who supported it will be in the office again, presumably next year, or mm-hmm. at least on the ballot in November. Right. Uh, but most people who voted against it either retired, were term limited, or didn't make it out of their race in June, and if they did, they got defeated last week in the yeah, runoff. So I think 10, 10 of the people, ten of the thirteen or sixteen. Yeah. So there was, so there was, I believe, nineteen people who were no votes on House Bill Ten Text. Of the nineteen who cast no votes, there were seven representatives. This was in the House, not the Senate. Right. Um, of the nineteen people who voted against it, seven of them were termed out or resigned. Two of them lost in their primaries, and six of them lost in their runoff. Which is, I mean, and so they basically all, I mean, they've all lost, either left or lost to other Republicans, um, many of whom have run on a pro-education platform so far. Yep. And I, I mean, I think this, and, and well, I mean, this kind of gets into our discussion about election results, but this resonates that election, that education is the hot button issue of yeah. 2018 yeah. and it's and it hasn't really died off that much yeah. since like the walkout no no not at all i want so, to come back to the walkout because uh, uh commander downey and i've had several yeah. discussions about that yeah beautiful so check that out marcusmcintyre.com we'll put throw the link up on the blog and uh see what representative mcintyre who's i would say friend of the pot he's been on the he's been on the show has he um, yeah oh yeah we did we interviewed him at the capitol yeah and we've got some uh, some other things planned with him down the road yeah good dude so check out what he has to say next up we have yeah an article from the oklahoman from newsok.com uh, entitled state office independence running as a team on open government and and really i mean the uh the headline kind of tells the story that there are uh, independent candidates for most of the statewide offices, treasurer, lieutenant governor, um, uh, shoot, several th- other things. And they're basically like, hey, we all kind of have the same platform. Let's let's kind of run as a ticket, right? Like, and this is, I think this is brilliant for just from a strategic standpoint, that if, if you have similar platforms and you all are kind of this minority group, then why not like kind of combine forces? And, and they said like, hey, we've, I don't have enough money to send flyers all over the state, yeah. but if we all kind of pull our money and make a flyer with all of us and then put it out, then it's really us uh, as kind of getting out there. And this is exciting for me I, as, as someone I'm, I will admit I'm registered as an independent currently. Uh, we were talking before we started recording that I was registered as a Republican for 10 years as a Democrat for 10 years. And, and now I'm an independent. Um, Maybe libertarians next. Who knows? We'll see. Green Party. Check back in 10 years. And, uh, but I think it's, I know a lot of folks that have switched from one of the two major parties to independent. And we've seen their, uh, their registration numbers grow at a higher pace than, than either of the, the major parties. And so 
I haven't had a chance to assess if I view any of these candidates as the best candidate for office, but I like that they're talking to one another being like, hey, you know what? Let's give the people of Oklahoma another option and how can we strategize the best way to do that? So that's what the article is. You can learn a little bit about each of the candidates in there and their strategy if you if you read it. Thoughts from either one of you guys? It, it really uh, starts to make the policies uh, more important than the party. And mm-hmm. I think that's probably what resonates. If anything, if it does nothing else, it'll certainly probably increase voter turnout. Right. Because it, they get to stop worrying about this partisan back and forthness. And granted, they're probably all Republicans. I don't know, but it just, it doesn't highlight that part of it. It highlights right. the, the policy, which is well, great. And it's interesting it's what too. It's about. Right. Well, and you know, every candidate's like, I want to have a policy driven campaign. And then they get in like, sure, this guy's got smelly feet. And so that's, but to have a chance to, to open it up, right? Like yep. not that we are ever going to be in a position in the near future to have to establish a, like, um, oh, what do they do in England? They have to, the a new government. Yeah. But the coalition. Mm. Yeah. Like where I don't, we don't have enough candidates of like a third party where they've got to like figure things out. But but that would change the dynamics quite a bit, right? Definitely. Um, Because I think in a state like Oklahoma, you know, I think people assume that most independents are like left-leaning, but they might only assume that because the Democrats have allowed independents to vote in their primaries and Republicans have not. And so it it like makes them just on paper, like makes them feel more left-leaning, but it's... That is a that is a creation by the parties, not by the independents right. themselves. Right. Uh, I know most people I know that have switched to independent in the last couple of years were Republicans that left their party for independent. And then when they found out they couldn't vote in the Republican primaries, they got more pissed and they may have kind of been driven towards the left for that reason. And I really think like if the Republicans open up their primaries too, we might see this gravitation towards the middle. And I, mean, I get why they don't because they need people kind of in their camps. But I like the idea that we get choice. Agreed. Definitely. I have some thoughts. Yes, please. I'm going to save them for later in the show because we're going to talk about the runoff mm-hmm. and the election recap. But I thought part of that discussion might be what happens next? What's in the future? What's what, next? What do the runoff results mean for November? It works. So I'm going to save my thoughts about this article and all of the things that you guys just said. Uh, and uh, we'll come back to it. All right. Reasonable? Yes. What's uh what's our next article here? Uh, up next, we have the um, education funding remains a contentious debate from the Journal uh, Record. Yes, yes, yes. So from our friends at the Journal Record, who, uh, as you guys know, we're big fans of here on the show. Um, I subscribe. I recommend you subscribe. It's just absolutely fantastic reporting on government business uh, and kind of what's happening in the state. Um, they've got a nice piece talking about, um, really, it's a, it's a similar thread, how, you know, that that just because the walkout ended and teachers got a pay raise and education funding got a boost, that does not mean this issue is over. There is a state question that will be on the ballot. Uh, I cannot remember the number offhand. Um, there's a state question that will be on the ballot in the fall talking about whether or not uh, property taxes, local district property taxes, can be used to fund mm. things other than uh, buildings, which is kind of what it's relegated to now, right? So, right, right. Um, the article delves into a, a very, very um, a bird's eye view of how education is funded in Oklahoma, which is essentially a mix of 
state funding and local funding. There's a formula that determines kind of like what state funding for education should be per pupil. Then it looks at each community. It figures out what that that individual community's contribution will be based on local ad valorem taxes. It subtracts that and does some other kind of fancy math that determines how much state aid goes to each individual district with the goal of having roughly equal per student funding across the state. Um, there are some districts like Western Oklahoma that get no state aid because they have so much ad valorem revenue from like wind uh, turbines that they don't get any state aid at all. There are some districts that don't have much ad valorem revenue at all that are largely dependent on the state formula to get funding for their schools. Hmm. <clears throat> um, it's a nice article um, that just kind of looks at this debate. Um, they talked to Jonathan Small, who's the president of the Oklahoma Council on Public Affairs, which is a... Um, I I th- I don't think it would be inaccurate to say a very very conservative, uh, maybe even kind of far right local think tank. Is that fair? Yeah. Um, um, they're really they're they're kind of pushing this, saying that you should maybe not get rid of the state funding formula entirely, but pushing for a funding mechanism of public schools that is based much much heavier on ad valorem taxes um, instead of uh, aid from the aid from the state. Uh, so they talk to they talk to Jonathan and kind of get his thoughts why he feels that way. I, for the record, speaking for myself, think that he's totally wrong. Um, Rich get richer, <laughs> man. Right. So, Let's, can we pause here and yeah. discuss education for a minute? Because we've kind of touched on it a couple of times. And yeah, I think why not? I'm going to get Mr. Downey's opinion here. Let's do uh, it before I go on. Did and what was the name of the uh, think tank? OCPA, Oklahoma Council on Public Affairs. Did they describe the impact that, that that's going to have? I mean, it's pretty difficult to change directions like this. Yeah. <clears throat> so their their thought is that by so right now, it is you are limited as a public school district in what you can use ad valorem tax revenue right. for. Right. So you can't pay salaries. Right. Right. You can't use it to like fund new staff. You really can just use it for new buildings and I think maintenance of existing buildings. Yep. Okay. And there and really so. Let's talk about it's basically property taxes paying for property. Right. Yes. Right. And their argument is by limiting how you can use those funds, you are effectively disincentivizing local communities to make further investment. Um, now, my counterpoint would be that when you look at the counties, uh, districts that have the highest ad valorem revenue, mm-hmm. you get the counties, in o- the districts in Western Oklahoma, then you have Broken Arrow, Jinx, Edmond, Norman, the usual suspects. There's no evidence that that bears out okay. at all. Um, to me, it's bad policy because it's going to simply continue this, this divide where areas that are already doing real well will continue to do really, really well. And when you take the state formula away, there's no equalizer, right? There's no there's no way for districts that are behind because property values instead of averaging seventy nine thousand per pupil the way they do in Edmond, average thirty five thousand the way that they do in Middell. There's no way to catch up, and they've got no method of making that gap up, right? So that's that's the argument kind of for for and against. That's going to fly in this current uh, environment. And I'm speaking as a conservative. I mean, I, that's just not going to work. It seems so like clear. If you've, I don't understand it. If you've got a method to make up that difference, then let's hear it. But if you don't, 
I don't think you can change this horse midstream. Uh, well, I think, and I think what you're hinting on is, and I'm, I'm, I don't want to speak for you. So if I'm getting it wrong, jump in and, and tell me I'm getting it wrong. But I think that the debate is even more fundamental than that, right? You seem to be coming from a position of thinking there needs to be a way to make up that gap. Definitely. And I think that there is an, there is an argument being made by people that are kind of much further towards one end of the spectrum that no, there doesn't. There's, there's that we don't have an obligation as a state or at least the government doesn't have an doesn't have an obligation to make sure that every kid in Oklahoma has as much as possible equal opportunity to a quality education, and 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 so if you don't believe that, then there's no reason to have a way to make up that gap. They don't have an obligation if they've got a commitment to making those areas, uh, Ada, Oklahoma, or you know just some small if they've got a commitment to making it economically viable for new businesses, new people coming in to pay those property taxes and watch property taxes increase, revenue increase, to help uh, fund those areas, specifically earmarked for those areas. But mm-hmm. otherwise, people are just going to flee. Well, and, and it's... Uh, I mean, it kind of makes... I mean, this is... This is the be, reason that, like, income taxes or something that's across the board helps equalize things right is that everybody pays into this it's supposed to it's supposed to right um and and then you kind of disperse it evenly or adjusted for other factors so that it does so that a rising tide raises all ships right um and taking that tide away some ships are going to sink this is state government that should be looking out for the entire state not just portions of the entire state and it's uh I just uh, no argument for me. <laughs> I don't like it, right? I, because otherwise, ten years from now, like you and I have talked about, we're gonna have another walkout. We're gonna have an underfunded education right. for half the schools in the state, old textbooks, whatever, whatever the cost to live is. We're gonna see it again, and it's gonna be here when people start thinking that. Uh, no, the state has no obligation to help make up any differences. Right. So, um, Commander Downey, your kids are, your daughter's high school I've age? I've still got two in high school, yeah. Okay. That's a big move for them in high school. Moving. Yeah. I'm sure that's... Actually, they're okay with it. Uh, they're not, they're not, uh, they're not ready to slip my throat. I'm not sleeping with one eye open. So right, yeah. right. Well, um, but so you, and have you lived in Edmond the whole time? Ever since I've moved here. Okay, so, yeah. so your kids have grown up in the Edmond school yes. system. And um, which is, I think, everyone kind of empirically somehow knows, like, I, like a priori knowledge that like Edmond schools are some of the best schools here in the metro. Yeah. Shout and, out to my alma mater, Edmond Memorial High School, recently right. ranked by uh, MSN as the best public high school in the state. Yeah, go Bulldogs. That's right. Um, and I'm so impressed you knew that. We have my Bulldogs. They're all dogs up there. <laughs> that's true. Huskies, Huskies, Bulldogs, and what are the other ones? We just played Santa the Fe. The Wolves. The Wolves. That's right. Just kind of dogs um and how so how, how have you seen all right have you seen schools change over the last like 10 years you know it's a little bit uh for instance right now it, the kids are at edmund north mm-hmm. uh they just completed their brand new local stadium i oh right yeah all the edmund schools used to play uh their home football and I'm speaking about football as if it's the biggest uh, uh, sport 
participation wise or, or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be, but uh, it's just an example. So now all the schools are getting their own stadiums. Mm-hmm. And I just drove to Tecumseh a couple of weeks ago and I happened to go by, um, I, is it called Tecumseh high school? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the, so this is where I look at situations like this where state reps or even, uh, council members or people would, would sit and say, why does a school like that? They've got their own stadium. You know, all these Edmond schools should, but you, you look at the rest of the facilities and we're, we're just talking about buildings here. Um, it's a very nice schools up there in Edmond. Um, and they're not everywhere else. I haven't seen changes other than just this massive influx of, uh, cash. There's an entire drama, auditorium at Edmond North that uh, granted that was there when we moved uh, I just don't know of other places that have the kind of facilities it's a small because they don't college. have the lower tax revenue to I, pay and for that's mm-hmm. and so there is a part of me that says you know don't deny that but there's got to be a way to get and, and I won't downplay the benefit of having those kinds of facilities um but it's got to be across the state. We want our rural Oklahoma students to get the same kind of education because they're going to contribute to Oklahoma right. uh, in the future. And it's, hmm. it's almost like limiting the pool of future leaders and uh, uh, doctors or whatever you want here in Oklahoma. F- F-18 pilots. Or F-18 pilots, <laughs> right. that's right. I just... Uh, and it's only since you and I started talking about this for about the last year that I've become a little more passionate about it, that, um, I just have a broader view than just my own locale. And, uh, it's a well, little frustrating. And I, you know, I, on a personal note, I certainly applaud that because not, not everybody does, you know, mm-hmm. like, right. Like you yeah. can get a blinders and, you know, real well, looking through a soda straw. Right, we all want the best for our kids, sure. you know, like, um, like I, so I, I think most of our listeners know, like I'm divorced. My kids live in Edmond and they go to school up there. And I happen to live right now in a district for, uh, for Cleveland elementary, which is an excellent elementary school in Oklahoma city schools. Now the, the junior high and high school are not stellar right now, uh, in that area. And so my kids aren't, they're going to stay where they're at because that's the best thing for them in lots of ways. But I, I definitely feel, like fortunate that they get to, but I do feel like bad for my neighbors who are my friends, whose kids are transitioning to middle school and they're like looking to move because they're like, yeah, but this middle school is not great. And, and how do we, what do we do? That's the best for our kids. And well, and starting to think about the next generation. And I think that hits on something that that's really, that's really tough. And this is, you know, easy. I'm the, I'm I'm the guy at the table with no kids. Right. So, um, she gets some. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you know, um, but but one of the, one of the things that's hard and it's really easy when it's not your kid, right? Is like, well, if all of those parents, right? If you're concerned enough to move because you're you're worried about where your kids are going to go to middle school, where your kids are going to go to middle school, those are the kind of parents that have the ability to change that middle school if their kids go there. Right. But right now everyone is worried that their kids are going to be the only ones. And so they leave. And when they leave, their resources leave with them. Mm -hmm. So that means that there's less competition for the 
housing market like in that school district, which means that property values don't go up as fast, which means that ad valorem tax revenue is not what it needs to be, which right. means those schools still struggle to compete. It's a so, very myopic view. Well, and I think, um, you know, uh, Commander Downey, what you said about driving to Tecumseh, where you got the opportunity to see another school and what it looked like, and like, oh, and I mean, I, I would love to see someone launch an Instagram account where they post photos just of the outside of schools across the state, right. and you will see a wide range right. of what that looks like, and that would give a face to some of these discussions about four-day school weeks and school consolidation and and ad valorem taxes and all this stuff relates to be like, let's lay eyes on these schools because the people that are voting for this at the state capitol don't necessarily know what these schools look like, right? Yeah. You go to uh, Western Heights schools and see what they look like with like broken windows and that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. And then go to Edmund North, right? Or Edmund Memorial and then go to like Broken Arrow and then go to Godibo or Idabel. Yeah. Like that. And like, let's, let's compare apples to apples here. Yeah. Um, and see... Are our children, and when I say our children, I mean the state of Oklahoma, mm-hmm. not just my children, are our children as a state getting the best education that they can? Are they getting what we believe they deserve? And I think it takes more people having an outlook that we're all in this together. If you if you don't take a view of looking a few dominoes down the road, you don't get the right, I think, to complain about... Uh, I don't know. I'll just pick some how much state funding is uh, supplementing unemployment, let's say, mm-hmm. uh, unemployment insurance. Um, if you haven't done something or or supported something that helps reduce the number of people who might have to use such a thing further down the road. And, and again, that is a very broad brush I just painted there. But uh, I, I think that's the way parents need to look at it. I'm very fortunate that I'm able to to live where I live and my kids get to go to one of the best school districts in the state. Um, but if they stay here or if they, I have a daughter who's, who's staying here. She's going to Oklahoma city university. Uh, if she stays here and her taxes, she moves to a house, her taxes, she's going to less of her tax revenue is going to go to support, say a local high school and have to go, um, support, uh, Medicaid rolls or, or something like that, or uh, uh, unemployment insurance, things that we could have reduced if we made sure that uh, elementary schools and middle schools around this state, uh, that these students are getting an education that prevents them from getting to that point right. 12 right. years down the road well, or 15 years down the road. And that's one of the dilemmas that, that's one of the dilemmas that legislators face. And it's, and it's tough, right? Because if you're running for, if you're running for public office, right? You are by definition, you're trying to win a popularity contest, right? right? Like, right. and and good, bad, or indifferent, at some level, you are trying to convince a group of people of something, a local group of people, right? And you're trying to convince people, you know, and many of whom, most of whom, are not millionaires and billionaires, right? You're trying to convince them that the increased taxes that are required to pay for this now are going to benefit everybody else in 20 years. Right. And I get that when you have to get elected every two years, that is a hard argument to make, but it is in my opinion, the moral and just from a policy standpoint, correct argument to make. Well, and I will say, I think that the teacher walkout gets to this because 
the the thing that was successful at the walkout, and I get that nothing happened after the walkout, like everything happened beforehand. But the fact that the walkout occurred, and it was not just it wasn't just poor districts, it wasn't yeah. just rich districts, it was across the states, like hundreds of districts showing up, people marching from Tulsa down the turnpike, and you can give anecdotal stories on both sides of this, but like the fact is, thirty thousand people walked out of their jobs and came out of the Capitol and stayed there for a week and a half and said, this matters to the entire state. And what used to happen, the, uh, <laughs> you hear the cicadas in the background? They're back. Shout out to <laughs> listener and, and friend of the pod, Effie Craven. We lo- not just, don't just call her a She's listener. Founding board member. Thank you. Not even just friend of the pod. Like, Beloved friend and former <laughs> Oklahoman, Effie Craven, who specifically texted us today and was like, you can hear the cicadas throughout the, the entire cicadas episode. are insane. Despite living in D.C., <laughs> she is still a loyal weekly she pod listener. make her homesick. She is. It, it does make her homesick. Yeah. It does. We we text daily, I think. so. Um, but yeah, I think the, the, the key to success is that, that it was it was all of us saying, this matters to all of us, right? Like, And we... And if we do that about not just education, but other issues, hey, we might fix a few things around here. If local wealthy or, or, or local wealthy district uh, representatives aren't communicating to their constituents that uh, allowing for, uh, I don't even know what the amount is, I'll just make the half a percent increase or, or one and a half percent, whatever it is, um, will prevent a... In income taxes or which taxes? In, in uh, property taxes yeah. might uh, do well to prevent a 4% increase in state income taxes uh, 12 years from now. Um, do it now. Uh, so, it, so It benefits people personally and it benefits people locally economically. Uh, so I would actually... may not see it right away, so I'm sorry. I would actually... I would, I would push back on you a little bit and say that the... That I think that the the increased revenue actually needs to come from income taxes. And the uh, reason is sure. because, and, and the reason I say that specifically is because let's say that every district in the in the state increased out of alarm taxes by half a percent. Well, half percent increase in out of alarm taxes in Edmond makes a much bigger difference than a half a percent out of alarm tax in a district where the average property value is significantly less than that. So if we're really trying to decrease this disparity, what needs to happen is increase something like income taxes across the board where the... So there's more in general revenue. Yeah, there's more in GR. So that, and this this is not a popular thing to say, but so that the increased revenue, it the increased funding may not go to the places where the funding is coming from. That's Okay, so that's a funny thing. And this goes back to what we were saying is that the benefit of taxation, like the the purpose of it is to spread out the revenue so that everyone benefits again a rising tide raises all ships but especially in Oklahoma like we have this perspective that we don't want to pay for those people right like we don't want to I live in Edmond I don't want to give money to someone in Godibo they can do their own schools and and I and it's this having just read that boomtown book like it still makes me think of like the early days of Oklahoma which aren't that long ago about how it was like, this is my land, get the hell off, and you're responsible for your life, I'm responsible for mine, and and there wasn't, there hasn't always been this reciprocal yep. relationship, but when Oklahoma is at its best, right, 
it's often at our worst. It's things like like April 15th. It's things like May 3rd. When when all that stuff doesn't matter and we... Just April 19th. What did I say? 15th? Yeah, sorry. Said, I was thinking 95. Yes, April 19th. You said tax day, not tax bombing day. day. <laughs> Whoopsie daisy. <laughs> yes, bombing day. So the memorial, uh, April 19th, like May 3rd. Um, it's those events that where we put aside our our geographical boundaries or our socioeconomic boundaries and we say the Oklahoma standard is that all people are in this together and that phrase gets invoked in all kinds of weird situations but this is what it's about yeah, yeah. that was the I, I didn't mean to specify just yeah, that yeah, 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 I, yeah, yeah, it was more of a can we get some local politicians and and I talked to you and I won't even mention some of their names but I've talked to several on my couch I'm just hoping for a communicator who can spread this message you can't be in a wealthy district and not ask uh, something. I'm all for personal responsibility, but um, we have an opportunity in wealthy districts to make this a great state, not just make it a great municipal uh, you're, location. You're you're 100% right. And and I also think that even cuz 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 I think I think one thing that gets missed a lot of times in this debate, and that's what, and it's great to talk to someone like you who has a more conservative approach to this than you know someone like me. I think one of the things that gets lost in this debate is that people, you know, I think a lot of times um, the debate, you know, conservative, liberal, Republican, Democrat, whatever, personal responsibility versus like the government should take care of everybody. And I would actually say that the di- that the diff the difference is is not that. I absolutely believe in personal responsibility. Um, but I think that what we have to do as a society and as a political system is acknowledge that folks who are destitute or not even destitute folks who are living, maybe not at poverty, but near poverty, right? Folks who experience food and housing insecurity, even if they're not homeless and starving, they're not necessarily there because they've made bad choices, right? Maybe they are, but there's a whole lot of them who aren't, who are doing everything they can to take personal responsibility mm-hmm. and they need some help. Or, and and I'm not I'm I want to be clear, I'm not trying to say that that you like no. personally would disagree with that. I just think that the debate tends to break down, you know, like Andy said, well, we don't want to help those people because there is a perception that there's us hardworking, taxpaying Oklahomans, and then there's some people who aren't, when the reality is the vast majority of us are hardworking, taxpaying Oklahomans, whether you make $15,000 a year, $50,000 a year, or $150,000 a year. Absolutely. And even if there are those people who got that way because of their bad choices, we don't want more of them. We don't want their children. We, We want to give them an avenue away from that. And, Preach. Uh, I, I won't name the school, but uh, we, we do some uh, volunteer work at a local elementary school in a, in a very rough area, a very impoverished uh, 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 area of Oklahoma City here. And um, we, they love us coming. We just read with them. We read to them. We help them. Uh, it's, it basically revolves around reading, but it's something that small. Uh, gives these kids um, an excitement to actually come to school, mm-hmm. then what would maybe <laughs> new floors do mm-hmm. or new books or um, 
and it, and again, just like Scott said, most of the uh, parents are near poverty. Um, some of the some of their parents are are just working three jobs, and can't do this. Some of their parents are, uh, you know, substance abuse, and it's just bad situations. Mm-hmm. But um, we've got to break that cycle. If you don't break that cycle, you're going to be state revenue is going to be taking for these taking care of these kids twenty years from now. Yep, mm-hmm. and. Yep. Uh, so it's almost a it's almost a selfish uh, step to take to help them now, you know, uh, to 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 really make education um, uh, top notch. Mm-hmm. It's a good it, investment. It is a great investment, um, and I would rather pay for it now than watch what it does to the state uh, welfare rolls or um, homeless population twenty years from now. Uh, and again, I, it, um, it's broad brush time, and and I don't mean to yeah. paint, paint it too bleakly, but uh, we have an opportunity, I think, especially some of these wealthy districts. And I just sat the other night in uh, the first home game at uh, Edmond North High School, this beautiful stadium, and I don't begrudge them having it. But it came just a couple weeks after I just uh, did a quick tour there of um, just a few miles east of here, mm-hmm. and. Uh, not it's quite same. a difference. Yeah, it's quite a difference. Well, I will. I will say, like we've used the word investment several times in this conversation, and I and so I quickly Googled the definition because I had a hunch that there's something that resonates there, and indeed Webster's there is. Webster's Dictionary defines investment <laughs> because as yes, a great podcast, an act of devoting time, effort, or energy to a particular undertaking with the expectation of a worthwhile result. A worthwhile result. That's the part that hits me where I'm like, that's exactly what you're saying, Commander Downey. Like that's that what we do now, our time, our money, our effort, yep. putting in results in something that is worthwhile. And I'll be damned if Oklahoma's not like compelled to do things that are worthwhile. The uh, the complaint you hear is people who say, just like you said, Scott, that uh, or maybe that was you, Andy, who said it's not my problem. I don't want to take care right, of it. Right, right. Well, you're taking care of it whether you want to or not. Right. If you really don't want to take care of it, then invest in it now. Right. And then don't fight a slight increase in state income tax or whatever it is that's funding better teachers or um, more programs for I, these I would, kids. I would even say better teachers. I would say more sure. teachers. Uh, that is kind of disparaging for teachers. I did not mean that. Shout out. Shout out. I love teachers. Shout out to all the teachers who listen. We know you do a great job. Do. Go I, across the street and get Sherry. <laughs> That's all, folks. I'm out. It's not, it's, not, it's not better teachers. It's more teachers. You can edit that out, right? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, honestly, I mean, let's let's be clear that already this year we've uh, approved more emergency certifications than we did last year, yep. which was more than the year before that. And it was yep. more than... So, like, yep. yet again historic levels of alternate certifications and i'm not saying that all alternately certified teachers are unqualified i'm saying they were alternately certified these are folks who didn't necessarily go into teaching for the intent of teaching by and large there are some excellent teachers right like you and i could both go i think we'd be qualified to teach something well i've actually thought about it i've thought about going like obviously i have a full-time job but like i've thought about going and getting my like alternate certification just because i'm i'm curious like what's involved what's involved like, yeah well, i mean like i mean i don't know how it worked like can i just go say like hey i i have a medical degree right i'm an i'm an md so right. does that mean i'm like automatically certified to teach no you take a test high school biology or chemistry or anatomy right. or physiology right. or whatever the whatever it is like i don't I, like i don't know how it works like what is the alternate certification process 
Like I don't, I have no idea how that process. I works. thought about doing it too. I, the hard part is that I'm afraid if I did it, then I would feel compelled to do it. And I well, right, you, I, then you get called all the time. Like, hey, hey can you do this? And I'm right. like, no, I cannot. <laughs> Can't take a pay cut. Right. Um, there's probably some rule against that. Also, so, this has been a fan. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, go ahead. This is a fantastic conversation, but um, I think if we keep going at this rate, we're going to have the longest podcast we've ever had. I say we're, Should we? We're going to bump, bump up against uh, yeah, should Nice. Commander Downey's been excited about this for a while. He's been saying, this is your best episode ever. Uh, I mean, it's been solid so far. I, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll let the listeners can tell us. We'll let the right. downloads. Um, should we, should we keep going with our news roundup and kind of get through that and get yeah, to let's, elections? Uh, let's run through these so we can get to that last one. Uh, some so, special music. <laughs> that's right. So, uh, next up we got, um, article from Oklahoma policy Institute. Um, it's a blog post by, uh, Philip Rocco, who is a Rocco. professor of political science. Oklahoma's plan for Medicaid work requirements is a dangerous experiment that will put the health of thousands of Oklahomans at risk. It's a long title, but it's worthwhile. Um, Check this out. So there's been a lot of talk about work requirements. Um, you, we didn't, it wasn't in this week, so we didn't put it in the list. You may or may not have seen that yours truly had an op-ed in the Oklahoma last That's week. That's right, you did. I did, it's true. Um, um, so, uh, so that should be on the list. Uh, that was, uh, it was published. So, so it's funny because they didn't, um, I'm not trying to like disparage it, they didn't actually tell me that they'd accepted it. So I found out that it got published, um, when people started, it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, um, uh, it was published not this past Sunday, but the week before Sunday before. Um, so, um, my op-ed kind of focuses on the work requirements and basically talking about why I feel like they are bad policy in terms of decreasing access um and that i i kind of kind of go after the governor and the legislature a little bit in terms of um i feel like using kind of some bad using some bad data and some bad presuppositions in terms of passing this requirement that ohca develop a proposal for work requirements um uh dr rocco goes after he doesn't go after OHCA because he does kind of predicate his argument by stating they're put in an impossible position of defending something for which there is not good data. But he kind of breaks down the OHCA proposal for work requirements and kind of looks at several of the studies that they cite in their waiver proposal and says, here's why they're using the data either incorrectly or like misrepresenting it. So um, if you're curious about the work requirements, which you should be, and if you think it's bad policy, which it is, um, you can check out uh, check out my op-ed in News OK from a week ago. Uh, and then you can check out uh, Dr. Rocco's um, blog post on OK Policy and kind of get two different angles about why this is why this is bad policy. Right, and we, we will link to both of those on the blog post um, for this Let's Fix This OK.org slash blog. Um, and I just pulled up your, your op-ed to put on there. Also, did you see Thanks, that the man. president tweeted about work requirements for SNAP today, which is a whole separate issue? Listen, here's... I don't actually follow him on Twitter. I, I don't either. I it. saw someone else post about it. And I'll just say as a... Uh, just my two cents, uh, and this is me personally, Andy Moore, um, that especially in Oklahoma, I can't speak for other states, but here, listen, everyone who's working... Pretty much, is, that's who can work, right? Like Oklahoma City just posted the lowest unemployment rates since like 2008, and that's like 3.3 percent. That's tremendous. So, like, working doesn't mean wealth. Is right. The other thing, right? Right. We have I've I deal with you know uh, with a fairly indigent population as well in my job, and 
lots of our folks work and many of them like barely survive yeah. Um, yeah. working 40, 50 hours a week because their job doesn't pay a whole lot. Like they don't, it's not like they're living high on the hog. They yeah. just, that's the way it is. So, uh, so check out that from okay policy. Um, all right. Next up, uh, article from KGOU. This is so good and it's really worth your time. Please read this. So a district attorney hopeful challenges small town politics in Altus. Um, the thrust of this, Andy loves it whenever I use the word thrust. It's the giggling. second time this episode. He's, he's, he's giggling and it's only had two glasses of whiskey. Uh, so um, <laughs> thank you. Thank Very you very nice. much. I'll be here all week. Uh, so the, the main point of this article um, is really looking at district attorneys and how much power district attorneys wield in the criminal justice system. Oh, this is huge. It's, it's, it is, it, they are incredibly influential. There are 27 district attorneys in the state of Oklahoma. Do you know how many of them are facing an opponent for re-election this year? 26. Eight. That's it? Yeah, it Eight. Be, it Holy Moses. Yeah. So two thirds, two thirds of district attorneys in Oklahoma are running without an opponent. So attorneys, attention attorneys in rural Oklahoma prepare for... 2020, 2022. Players, you know, pursuant to our discussion of judges, I wonder if there is a state statute that says you have to be an attorney to run for attorney. Oh, general. right, because you don't have for to be an attorney to be a judge. You don't have to be an. You, you don't have to. Be a, I didn't know that. You do not have to be a lawyer That's to be a judge. Bananas. So, I don't know that we have any in the not state right now, but uh, but they you got could. any they got judge. A, yes, but you special judge. They got a bunch of them in Texas. Um, Go Texas. figure. Yeah, right. Um, don't even show me that tattoo. It's disgusting. <laughs> It's disgusting. Uh, just so y'all know, Andy, Mr. Oklahoma out there, has a tattoo of the freaking state of Texas with a flag on his right. I was born in Texas. Deltoid. I don't even care. Um, is that my deltoid? That is your deltoid. All right, then. Yeah. Shoulder to the rest of us. Get a second opinion on what that is. It's your <laughs> pectoral. This is, my, this this is, is my, your ulna. This is your um, antecubital fossa right here, otherwise known as your, like... It's a hippocampus. Your AC. I see it. Your AC. Is that what it's called? Your AC. Your AC. Your so AC. it's the inside of your elbow. Your elbow pit. The, it's, it's the I elbow just know pit. It's your antecubital yes. fossa. That, I learned that. That's true. But uh, check out this article from KGOU. We'll link to it on the website. Um, and it really talks about, um, it just talks about, it, it looks at, it's specifically talking about uh, challenges, challenges to sitting district attorneys in the context of uh, substance abuse convictions mm-hmm. um and how those can vary based on race wealth uh you know socioeconomic status etc etc so mm-hmm. definitely worth a read check it out um lastly i believe right yes lastly we've got an article Oops. from sorry uh brianna bailey <laughs> i don't know why well actually that's appropriate do it again Brianna Bailey from the Frontier is reporting that Oklahoma gave Boeing $90 million in incentive money along with a few other tax breaks. Now, um, we have talked on the show before about tax incentives. We've talked about the Oklahoma Incentive Evaluation Commission that meets every year. Like this year, they recommended a repeal of film. No. Scott looks very upset. Listeners at home, I'm gonna I'm gonna just tell you what he's. Why you need video? I know. And an edit button. <laughs> it's the one that they it's the one that they recommended repeal, and the legislator was like, "Nah, we're good." 
Oh, um, the capital gains deduction. Yes. Yes. Because we have no measured benefit from it, and it may have cost it us costs, several hundred million dollars. It, it costs us money. So the uh, they're like, yeah, but I like it. This is another. It so this is another good. example of of a a tax incentive. Now, I will say full disclosure: the Oklahoma Incentive Evaluation Commission has said that this particular incentive is a worthwhile incentive that probably is a net benefit for the state. But Brianna does a fantastic job of really looking into how long Boeing has been in Oklahoma, how many jobs they've created, what the payout has been to the company. And, and I, and I don't think I, I really, I've, I've read the article a couple of times and I don't think that she's kind of making, I don't think she's making a statement of like, we've paid them too much or it's not been worth it or it hasn't been good, no. but it is just, it's interesting it is interesting to have a kind of behind the scenes look of how these things work. Like for instance, so the you know, Boeing will approach the government of Oklahoma and they'll say, Hey, we're thinking about making this change in our corporate structure that would move this set of operations to Oklahoma. And it's going to bring a certain number of jobs. Uh, what can you do for us? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and there's a certain incentive called the quality jobs initiative where Boeing can actually get a cash payout from the state for bringing certain kinds of jobs to Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. I'm not, I'm not saying it's good. I'm because we bad. might see a net uh, right. gain from that. Right, 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 right. But like she just, she she finds out some interesting points. Like for instance, they might negotiate where this agreement, you know, is signed in, and this is a made up number, but like maybe the agreement is signed in August of 2018, but it's retroactive to August of 2015. Oh. Right, so Boeing may get paid for jobs that have been created over the last three years before the agreement was actually in effect, well, that, or they or they may say, "Hey, you can't count you can't count these jobs." So, like our baseline job number is zero. So you have to you have to use when you're calculating how many quote unquote jobs we created, you have to use zero as the starting point, not you know, the 1200 jobs that already existed or the 1500 jobs that already existed. Right. And so it's just, it's just interesting to kind of see how, and, and one of the points that she makes is that the state agency that monitors and negotiates and enforces all of this has shocking, had their budget cut drastically in the last 10 years. So like everybody else. Yeah. So there used to be like 25 people working there and now there's literally like three. So, I don't, you know, they so, can't watch everything. Right. So, so, so I'm just saying it's possible we may be getting the short end of the stick on occasion. Hmm. Uh, the, I, and I can't speak to the retroactive part. I'm not really sure why that's there, but I will say <laughs> having just recently resigned from Boeing. Yeah. That, um, dun, dun, dun. they are, it, again, this is anecdotal. They are desperate for people to come here and work because they are continuing to absorb. You mean a lot of people don't want to move from Seattle to Oklahoma And that's City? the problem. Uh, and they are raising starting salaries, uh, mostly engineers, to get them to come here. And and this kind of incentive money allows them to do that. Right. Uh, and they, are grow- they just went from, I don't know, two years ago, 1,500 people, and now they're at 3,000 people, and they maybe I have these numbers wrong, but uh, I just saw their projections. Uh, I think they want 4,000 by 2020 and more after. Um, and, wow. and they are they are absorbing almost, I can't put a percentage on this, a huge amount of work from Seattle. Uh, 
and the their hang up is getting people to move here. Sure. And the thing is, we want like we want that like Oklahoma like we want them here. We want these people here. We want them paying. We want these jobs here, right? So, so the the I I think it's important to emphasize, like I said, that the, the the article is not necessarily like a net negative, but. Brianna even said on Twitter, she's like, I got a wild hair and decided I was going to look at all of their, right. all of their applications. And it's just, it's just interesting. So it, it's at the frontier, um, free, there's no paywall. So it's, it's, it's not super long, but it's longer than your average piece, but, but well-researched, well-written as always. And, uh, Brianna, Brianna's really a rock star on that really kind of stuff. Time. Yeah. So interesting. So, uh, Commander Downey, you said their, their projections are, they would like to have 4,000 people here in Oklahoma ish. Um, but that's, uh, I'm sorry, employees there, employees, and that's an increase of uh, a thousand, thousand or fifteen hundred people. people. So a thousand new jobs in the next two years would be tremendous for Oklahoma, right? Um, Definitely, that would be a at huge least deal. Oklahoma City, right? Yeah. Um, also, again, I referenced this in our last episode, but Boomtown, if you haven't read it, just a book that just came out about Oklahoma City by Sam Anderson, is it resonating in my brain like every day with something like this because. We in Oklahoma City have this weird relationship with Seattle in all kinds of ways, from the Thunder to Boeing to all these things. Back, um, Melson, did you know this? Back in the 60s, we, um, Boeing, at the time, okay, let me back up. At the time, we believed that supersonic travel was going to be the wave of the future, right? Like, this is what's, Mm -hmm. this was going to be the new thing. The problem with supersonic travel, Commander Downing, it's loud. It's really effing loud because of sonic booms. And so they're like, yeah, but this will be normal. People will be okay with sonic booms several times a day. They just have like to get, glass. They have to just get used to it, right? Once they're conditioned, they'll be fine. Plastic so windows. they needed somewhere to test this. Who doesn't complain about things very often? Oklahoma City. That's a fact. And so they were like, okay, well, and so Oklahoma City, in our in our desperation to be relevant in this modern world we said we would love to be the hub of supersonic travel for america come on down boeing move your high-paying jobs so they came here they started doing two booms a day then three booms then four booms then five and six for six months they they built a huge new uh, boomtown boomtown right (laughs) nice a double another do the room shot no yeah uh so another uh thing so they built a big long runway out at Tinker, I think, to accommodate these supersonic jets. And they were just like rocking our city, I think, six times a day or more for six months. And the people complained so loudly that it got shut down. And obviously, supersonic travel is not the wave of the future. But I just thought, what a what a crazy quintessential Oklahoma City story of like, we wanna we wanna be cool in something. How about this thing? We'll we'll sell our soul for this didn't work out and so now we're gonna do something else but we're freaking cool we are cool we're way cooler now than we were back in the 60s we got russell westbrook just for now yeah that's no, part of the book too i wouldn't bank uh, on that not, not for forever now. he signed an extension do you remember this is the key point of the book how much we loved kevin durant who kevin durant who i'm not, I'm not sure right who exactly this is what i'm about. saying both of you guys look at me like i just there's a fist bump occurring. Right. Exactly. Kevin. We love we thought he could do no wrong, him and kissing his mama, and it was great. I still and he I still sold us out because listen, he I don't just know. Wasn't, I have I have, why do I have no memory of this he guy? He just wasn't know. that into us. Oh. People acted like you didn't give he, him enough retroactive uh, incentives. People, that's exactly right. People acted like he left us at the altar. 
I'm you, just. Hey, uh, Kevin Durant. Just so you know, if you're listening, we love you. Come you're back. not invited on the pod. <laughs> you're not invited. You Listen. would turn him down. You wouldn't turn him down, Kevin. If you're listening, you can come on the pod whatever you want. <laughs> but you should definitely first sign up to be a recurring donor on our website. <laughs> um, yeah. So I here's the deal with the the Boeing thing. Just to get back on this, and we are having a long, very long episode. Oh, yeah. So the, right the total state <laughs> Oklahoma budget. So the the total budget of Oklahoma is like twenty two billion dollars, right? So ninety million isn't is a not an insignificant amount of money, but a tiny portion. Of our overall state budget, it's uh, like five percent. No, like one twenty second of our entire state budget. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Two point two billion. Twenty ten percent. Twenty two billion. Hold on. Oh, our total state budget is twenty two billion dollars. Yeah. That was two point. Um. Oh, yeah. Okay. Then yes. Tiny percent. Yes. <laughs> I thought you said. I thought you said two point two billion. And yeah, I was like, no. I think it's about. 22. I think it's about like three percent. Two two B. Twenty two billion. You okay. learned something in that MBA. So uh, nice also so, from Ballotpedia. So point three percent. Point, yes, a very tiny amount. All right, um, are we on I to our how uh, decimals work? Oh, dude, it's our last article. I'm not even gonna say what it is. Oh yeah, if you're a regular listener, you know it's time. We do settle we in have there one this week. Excited. It's Pruitt Watch. Commander Commander Downey's very excited for this. Pruitt Watch. So we've got an article from the Tulsa World. So the EPA's internal investigator, okay, <laughs> their internal watchdog has said that uh, Mr. Pruitt's $3.5 million in security costs were not justified and uh, largely unnecessary. His security costs, like his radio-proof phone booth or whatever he had yeah like that like the uh seven hundred forty nine thousand dollars that his security detail spent on travel for themselves and his thirty thousand dollar soundproof phone booth yeah his 18 bodyguards up from six for his predecessor his he tripled the security detail yeah so do you but, know but people were mean to him on the airplanes when, Kyle. He, when he was people didn't like people were mean to me so when, they spoke out they were angry i didn't even realize this when he was being <laughs> When he was being, uh, when he was called before the Senate to explain some of this, do you know what he did to like defend his security like spending? Tell me he cried. No, it's better. <laughs> he read tweets. What? Yeah, like he got on and, like I did read not see Kimmel that. Yes, that right? Yeah, yeah. No, no. Is that Jimmy Fallon? Uh, it's right. uh, Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, reading but no, tweets. So he, yes. So Scott Pruitt sat in the Senate and read. Like angry tweets from tweets about himself to the Senate as justification for his. And then the senators asked him, did any of those result in arrests or physical harm? No, because he had $7 million worth of security. (laughs) Did you block them on Twitter? (laughs) Right. So that costs uh, a lot of money. Blocking people on Twitter? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Just I had to pay someone to block my tweets. So if you're looking for, uh, if you're just looking to put a smile on your face, go to the Tulsa World. They do great work up there uh, on many things. But this week, check out their article on Scott Pruitt and his three and a half million dollars in like you know 16 months as uh, EP administrator on security. Well, that is sad. And that makes concludes Pruitt Watch for this week. Makes it very difficult to be conservative. Makes it very, <laughs> very difficult. It's, oh. Commander Downey, you and I have discussed Scott Pruitt yes. a few times in class. I prefer not, but it is a difficult situation. It, it's just indefensible. So much of what's gone on over the last two years is indefensible. It's just goofy. Yeah. 
I just want some adult leadership. <laughs> Is that too much to ask? I think it might be too much to ask. I you don't know, know. I uh, I know a guy. First name Joe. Last name Biden. <laughs> from Delaware. I don't think Biden, Biden can pull it off. I mean, we don't get into national stuff very often, but I don't... You have to recap his teeth. <laughs> new new bucket chicken. chicken. We don't go enough. You don't think Joe can pull it off? I don't... I Here's... I. I think our just like our news cycle has shortened, I think our our popularity cycle has shortened for politicians on the on the national scale. And our tolerance for that generation, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because I I said this before, I think for the for the Democrats if one of the uh the Castro brothers from down in Texas, if one of them rises up in the ranks, I I don't understand why both parties aren't wholeheartedly pursuing the Latino vote. Yeah, Jiminy Christmas. Oh, the the Dems are. I think the Dems are. They're talking about no, they're not. Like not enough. Why I have not heard a Latino's name in discussion on the national level since lately. Ted Cruz. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> but honestly, would you not take second Ted Cruz physical, right now over second what we got? The, no, Jeff no, Bush. I would, I would not take Ted Cruz. I had this do you want to know why? Discussion with a guy in Memphis just do yesterday. Wanna, do you know why? So I would like why. to know why. As a progressive, this is why I would not take Ted Cruz because <laughs> Ted Cruz is. I can't even believe I have to say this where people are going to listen to it. Ted Cruz is so much smarter than Donald Trump. Oh. He would be so much more. That's the long game. Effective. You're playing the long game. Yeah, right? I so it. over the long term. Now, I will tell you, I I was someone in 2016 who didn't think Trump could win. I under, I underestimated. I underestimated Same. a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was glad that Donald Trump got the nomination instead of Ted Cruz. And I still, I still think this is true. I thought that Ted Cruz would do more long-term damage to the country than Donald Trump was mm-hmm. capable of. Now, I was not prepared for the attacks that Donald Trump has levied on our institutions. And I want to be really clear here. I don't know how many people we have that are conservative or Republican that listen. I hope I hope we have a lot. Millions. Um, millions. You know, I, I would love I would please, love for it to be millions. Please donate. I am I am talking about I am talking about something irrespective of policy, right? You know, I think I think that President Trump has attacked fundamental institutions in a way that I did not anticipate. But I think that those institutions those institutions are holding. Oh yeah. And and I think that they are I think that they can recover. I think that Ted Cruz would have damaged the country in ways that are a much harder to um, much harder to protect against and that are much harder to recover from. You say damaged. I would use a different word, but I understand yeah. your point yeah, yeah, that yeah. Um, they would have been done in a smarter, more logical way that is just more difficult to recover. It, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. different than just a midnight tweet from a, <laughs> I just like, so badly um, want him. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's. Uh, I'm running. By the way, in 2020, I'm gonna go. 
So let's. Uh, <laughs> Is that it for this episode? That's it. That well, first, um, let's uh, let's end with a uh, a weekly question, which we did in the beginning, and I think if we did the beginning, no one remembers. No, so, don't do the one I suggested. No, I'm not. No, it's not about who's the best, Scott. Here's uh, the weekly question. I'm gonna do the sound effect again because you were whining. The weekly question is, other than education, what is the most important issue for you this election cycle? Other than education, what is the most important issue for you this election cycle? Please respond to us. You can tweet at us at Let's Fix This Okay, or you can hit us up on email, podcast at letsfixthisok.org. That's a really good question, because education is dominating. It's such a big deal, but... Other stuff matters. Is it criminal justice? Is it election reform? Is it tax reform? Is it any of these things? All right. Let's uh, let's close this thing down. All right. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank God. Finally. We finally made it. I'm proud of you guys. Well done. Dr. No Melson's for, Dr. Headed, headed to the restroom. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Let's Pod This on Apple Podcasts and Spotify because, well, that helps other folks discover us and become better informed. Remember that you can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Fix This Okay. Scott is at SC Melson. I, Andy, am at Andy OKC. Our dear guest, Scott Downey, is not on Twitter because no. he's a wise, wise man. But uh, thanks for being here. We appreciate it. Oh, that. thank you. Um, hit us Excellent. up on Facebook, Instagram at Let's Fix This Okay, and uh, our website is at or excuse me is Let's Fix This Okay.org. Sign up for our email newsletter. We're kind of in the off season; we're not sending a whole lot out, but coming up soon, we're going to have a lot of really exciting updates. Read the blog, find other resources about how you can get involved, and uh, if you're feeling generous, make a donation to help support us because we do this for free right now and and it's it's wearing on both of us well and the rest of our board as well all right our podcast is edited and produced by scott and me and let's pod this as a member of the mostly harmless media network check out the other podcast with mostly harmless uh the wafty show is relaunching this week as a as a uh, talk show and there's a lot of great podcasts part of that our theme music or excuse me our theme music is provided by the sugar-free all-stars Let's Fix This is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization who strives to educate and equip all Oklahomans to engage with their government in really meaningful ways. We want you to matter. We encourage you to get involved in any way that you can. And remember, decisions are made by those who show up. Have a great week, everybody.